At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting. 101 podcast as always presented by our good friends over at Scentlock. Um, something tells me these boys are familiar with Scentlock being up in the Michigan area. Uh, but really what sets Scentlock apart is the carbon technology for maximum odor absorption. And they've com- they've created a complete bow hunting toolkit in the BE1 series. You've got to go check out our friends over at Scentlock. I am incredibly excited about today's episode. I've got two um I want to use the word legends, but most guys don't like when I say that. So I've got two, uh, man, what's the word I'm looking for here? What, what do I, what should I address you guys as? Can I say legends? Bow, bow no, hunters. no, just, just <laughs> Michigan bow hunters. Yep. Michigan bow hunters. Bow hunters. Yep. All right. I'll say legendary Michigan bow hunters. <laughs> I've got Brian Burkhart and Jim Eckout on the phone. If you're not familiar with these two gentlemen, uh, then you're probably not too familiar with the bow hunting world. Um, gentlemen, before we jump in, give me a quick introduction to yourselves. I know one of you is the president for Compton and one of you is the president for Michigan traditional. Um, give me a quick introduction to yourselves and kind of how you, you got to where you're at. Yeah, I'll go ahead and start. So, uh, this is Brian Burkhart. And as you mentioned, Dylan, I'm the president of Compton traditional bow hunters, which is the only national traditional only bow hunting organization. So, if uh, for those members or for the, the listeners that are traditional bow hunters and aren't a member of Compton, please check us out. But, you know, from a personal standpoint, I uh, started bow hunting. You could start bow hunting legally in Michigan when you were 12. And I, I can't remember not having a, a bow in my hand, but I was 12 when I started bow hunting. So I've been bow hunting for 46 years. And my uh, my father was an avid bow hunter and always shot bear bows so yeah i really he was always a bear archery fan and every summer we'd go up to northern michigan on vacation and we'd stop at the fred bear museum when it was in grayling and you know we would go in there and see all the mounts see the the moose the the grizzlies the you know brown bears the you know the lions etc cape buffalo and it was just that's you know fred was my childhood hero you know my dad was my mentor but Fred was my hero and, and uh, going in the museum was really what inspired me to go to Alaska. And I've been up there a number of times hunting, you know, close to 40 times now. So it's just, um, you know, Fred was my inspiration and uh, it was just, you know, I, in fact, I, my first uh, bow hunting bow was a bear Kodiak Magnum, a 45 pounder. And I shot my first deer on the ground 
with that. My dad had this rule when we were young that we had to shoot a deer on the ground before we could get up in a tree stand. So it was just, you know, it took me about five years to kill my first deer, but just some neat memories. Now, did you guys both um, start traditional or did you, did you start with, with compounds or rifles? Well, I've never, I've never hunted with a gun. In fact, I've never even owned a gun. So for me, my dad's passion, he uh, was bow hunting. And so I just started out with bows. And at the time, Dylan, it was really, it wasn't even called traditional because that's really all there that was. was the only way. Yeah. yeah, the compounds were just starting to come out. But um, yeah, I, I um, started out with a bear Kodak Magnum. Then I went to a compound for two years and then I went back to traditional. So been traditional 44 years. Jim, what about yourself? Give us an introduction to you. All right. My name is Jim Echo, and I'm currently the um, president of Michigan Traditional Bow Hunters. And kind of, it's Brian and I have been friends for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years, but it's funny. We both grew up here in Michigan and we both have real similar backgrounds. Uh, my dad was an avid bow hunter, um, always hunted with bear recurves. Um, I started at a really young age shooting a bear bow, and um, I just kind of always stuck with bear archery. Um, I, when I was 12, it was kind of like same story as Brian. We'd always go to the Fred bear museum cause it was here. And, um, I bought my first hunting bow just, you know, that year that was a hunting weight. And then I started bow hunt when I was 12. Um, we always had, um, you know, any, like the Fred bear field notes and stuff like that. When I was a kid, I'd always be reading that and just reading about Fred's adventures. And then I had seen some of the movies and stuff from going to the museum. So that was like Brian said, kind of the same thing, inspiration for adventure, you know, and, um, and this is actually, if I do make it up there hunting this year, I don't, as of right now, I don't know what my hunting plans, this will be my 30th year going to Alaska, sometimes wow. a couple of years, so, and, um, yeah, so that's kind of my background. How many recurves do you have behind you there? <laughs> I don't know, a few. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Dr. Warren Warren Strickland. Uh, yep. He's out of out of Alabama. We uh, I had a video conference call with him one time, and we were in the middle of business and uh, and talking some some Pope and Young business and and our convention coming up. And I finally just said, "All right, everybody, quit talking. I've got to ask how many recurves are in that room you've got there." And uh, and of course, he's got you know an insane amount of mounts all around him. Uh, but what caught my attention was all the recurves. And he said, I think last time I counted 312 and I'm like, <laughs> golly. And he said, yeah, you know, some are Fred bears bows that he hunted with some are signed by him summer. And I, I was blown away at the collection and I left that call and I went upstairs and told my wife, see, I've always gotten rid of my compounds. Just give one to my dad or my brother, or, you know, whoever at the end of the year when I got a new one. And I told my wife, I said, I'll never get rid of a recurve no matter what. Um, because there's, you know, a, a compound is a compound. I mean, it's a, it's a piece of machinery and it's, you know, they, they function really well, but, uh, what I've learned about recurves is every single one of them is a piece of art. And, right. uh, and, and even though, you know, there's however many mass produced mag risers or mass produced Kodiak hunters or grizzlies, each one of them is unique and different. And the wood grain is going to be different. It's going to look different. Um, and so I've decided I'll never get rid of a, another recurve. I, I gave two away in the beginning, uh, after I, you know, upgraded and changed, I, I gave one to my brother and one to a, 
a guy that was building my deck actually. And, and, uh, I've already told her, I'm like, man, if I could just go back and get those two, cause I don't want to get rid of any of them now. <laughs> hey, Dylan, you know, that's really some, some good insight, you know, and I learned from my dad, he would, he would always, you know, sell a bow to get the, the latest and greatest bear recurve. And, and then, you know, when he got older, he was like, man, I wish I would have had all the bows I sold. So I yeah. have sold a bow. Still got the first one that I you know, killed my first deer with. And I don't have as many as 300, but uh, I retired a couple of years ago and I started pulling out the recurves and uh, yeah, I've got over a hundred bear recurves. So it's uh that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm not, our last, I'm not uh, a collector, but I just love them. At our last Pope and young convention, um, where I was going through the silent auction area and I was bidding on a whole bunch of stuff. And, and, uh, I, I learned not to take my wife to convention with me because she was like, why are you bidding on all these bear recurves? You have, you know, you have however, three of them that you're shooting right now. And I'm like, sweetheart, these are, you know, this was Glenn St. Charles's bow and this was, you know, whoever's bow. And, and, uh, and so I was bidding on all of them. I didn't get any of them. I think Warren Strickland outbid me on all of them, but <laughs> so, so we had 300, in uh what are your what are your current bows of choice from bear well right now i'm shooting the um the bear kodak magnum oh no i'm sorry i'm shooting the bear mag riser right now um and then got a b mag riser on the way as well as the um you know the new kodak so yeah, I'm hunting with the um, 50th anniversary A-handle takedown right now. I've also been um, hunting uh, off and on with the same as Brian, the uh, new mag handle. And I have a B-handle I just got uh, a couple weeks ago. I've been playing around a little bit with that. And, you know, got turkey season around the corner. So, but the main bow I've been hunting with for the last two years is a 50th anniversary takedown. It's a phenomenal little rig for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I'm trying to think of who it was made for. I, um... I don't know if either of you guys were at ATA show this year, but they had one out front. It was for a giveaway, a raffle. It was a, a one of one bow and, and, uh, it was one of the takedowns and it was absolutely gorgeous. And, uh, I bought a couple tickets, but I didn't win it. So. <laughs> yeah. My favorite bear bows are the, are the takedowns. And then the, uh, you know, the 59 Kodiak, those are my two. You know, I, I told myself that no matter what, I wasn't going to switch from the mag riser. Uh, it was just shooting phenomenally and, and I, and I loved it. And, uh, and then I got the Kodiak Hunter and I've fallen in love with that bow. It is, it's everything that I want. It shoots great for me. I shoot it way better than I shoot the mag riser. Um, I don't know why, but I do. And, uh, and I've loved it. I think a lot of it has to do with the grip, you know, and it's all personal preference, but, um, you know, if the grip really kind of speaks to you and fits your hand well, that can make a big, big difference in your shooting. Yeah. And, uh, I have learned, so I, I've had a lot of people asking me what I thought about the Kodiak Hunter and I haven't gotten a chance to, to really speak to it yet, but I have learned that, and this is all personal preference. So don't let this deter anybody away from, from going the route of the, the Kodiak Hunter, but the grip for myself is very finicky. Um, like I have to, I have to consciously think about my grip all the time. Whereas the mag riser, um, just fit my hand a little better. So I didn't have to think about it as much. Um, but I found, I was having a lot of trouble tuning the, the hunter and, uh, come to find out it was just really finicky on my grip. I have to, to really consciously 
I don't want to say alter my grip, but um, work the grip in just right uh, every shot. And so that that's my only downfall of the Kodiak Hunter uh, at this point. But again, that's just me. So don't let that deter anybody from from purchasing it. Yeah, you've got to definitely be comfortable with a bow when you grab it. And that makes a world of difference. You know, when they did the unveiling of that 50th anniversary, Brian and I were there in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And um, as soon as I grabbed that, I knew I had to have one. And uh, yeah. just like you said, it just feels right in my hand. And I've shot a bear takedown for probably close to 30 years now. You know, different a B riser for quite a while. And then I went to an A riser, um, then the new 50th anniversary. And it's just, wow. When I, as soon as I grabbed it, it's like, yeah, this is, this is it. So, yeah. So before we dive in, uh, I really want to get to the, to the bones of this tribute hunt and kind of walk through the story of that. But before we dive in, I'm curious to know, and I usually ask this at the end of the episode, but, uh, I want to ask it at the beginning, uh, with Fred bear being big on his field notes, I always ask my guests, What's one field note that you've taken over the years to make yourself a better hunter with? Um, something I can take and put in my back pocket, the listener can take and put in their back pocket uh, and make themselves a better hunter with. You know, this is, uh, you know, I don't know if you'd call this a field note or not, but, you know, for me going out there, um, kind of uh, being willing to put it all on the line, the perseverance and doing whatever it takes to kind of have a great hunt and immerse yourself in the entire experience is really important. So I think the attitude you go out in the field with really makes a big difference. And if you can really just enjoy the experience, I mean, everybody wants to kill a big animal, but it's not necessary if you're really out there with the right attitude, enjoying the entire experience. Yeah, I would have to say about the same thing. It's not really from the field notes, but I've always, you know, just strive to do the right thing when you're out you're hunting and just take in the whole experience and it's not about getting an animal i mean especially when you're going to different places to hunt because you can take all the pictures you want in the world and all it just doesn't do it justice but it's always in your mind it's like other people don't get to do that and you just you're on your own you don't have anybody watching you so i don't know it just the adventure in itself and just that's just kind of how i am yeah i would say and I don't always share one, but uh, it's really been on my on my mind lately about finding mentors and finding people that can help you and finding people um, that can teach you and instruct you. Uh, and the beautiful thing is, uh, you know, I've heard from guys, and hey, I, I understand that I'm in a very blessed blessed position. Um, you know, I got to learn from from some of the greatest uh, Jim Willems, Tom Clum, uh, Harv Ebers. Those were the three guys. I, I I just spent two days with Harv. Uh, when I decided to shoot a recurve, I spent two days with Harv, and uh, and he really taught me how to shoot a recurve. And so um, I, I understand that I was blessed to learn from some, some incredible hunters, incredible guys that can shoot bows. Uh, but even if you can't, we live in a world now where, where we're so connected and there's so much information out there. And, and you know what I've heard from all of those guys was – you know, we didn't have that information. We just picked it up and we had to learn what worked. Um, but now we live in a world where, you know, you can purchase these instructional videos and these, you know, courses and you can go to courses and you can find people who can help you. And so I would just say that whether you're getting into hunting for the very first time, um, you know, whether you're making the switch to a recurve, whether you're, um, you know, trying bear hunting for the first time or whatever it might be, find a mentor that can help you and teach you and instruct you along the way. Um, because you don't have to do it alone. 
Uh, that's good advice, Dylan. And, you know, Jim and I had the benefit of both having fathers that were avid traditional bow hunters. So we, we had built in mentors, so to speak, but, um, you know, what, what you'll find in the traditional community is that people just love to help other people. So don't be afraid to ask and, and you'll get the help you need. You know, I can't shoot with my father. Um, I, he's a butthead. Uh, I've got, I was shooting just the other day and, and he was, he lives out of state and they had come to visit and he was playing around with the kids and I was outside shooting and he, he slides open the back door and he says, how far is that? I said, 24 yards. And, uh, and he began to mock me and, uh, and I said, yeah, I just, I killed the pig. It was a pig 3d target. And he said, yeah, but you should have hit, you know, whatever you hit a baseball, you should have hit a dime. And I'm like, shut up, man. Get in the back inside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's one, he's yeah. one of those guys. Well, well, you know, if I'm shooting 3d to me, if it's a killing shot, it's a dead animal. So that's all that matters to me. Oh, absolutely. And that's something else I'm big on. You know, I, I tell people all the time. I do not shoot bag targets, block targets with dots on it. Um, I, I, well, I shouldn't say that. 98% of what I shoot is just 3Ds because I don't care if I can hit a spot. I want to know if I can pull back and kill the animal. Um, right. And so I, you know, I don't, I don't practice a lot on bag targets and, and I don't let my wife either. Uh, I'm like, sweetheart, I don't care if you can hit a bullseye. Uh, I need to know if you can pick a spot on the animal and shoot it and kill it. Um, same with my kids when they get enough to shoot, you know, that's just, if we're hunters, let's practice to hunt. Makes sense. Yeah, I agree with that. Anytime I'm usually going on a hunt, I try to get a target of the animal I'm hunting and practice on that. Just, I know it's like mental preparation, you know. Oh, you're absolutely right. No, I, yeah, 100%. I, uh, I've got nine 3Ds in the backyard, and uh, when, when it gets close to deer season, the others go away, and I say, sweetheart, we're only shooting that one. Uh, you know, shoot that one a lot. Don't shoot the, don't shoot the hog or the antelope or the – the bears, um, I need you to pick a spot on the deer and the deer's kill zone and kill the deer. Um, and so you're, you're hundred percent correct, but let's not waste any more time. Let's get into this, uh, tribute hunt. I've meant to have you guys on for a long time. Alex been telling me I need to for a long time. Um, and, and just so you guys know, if you've ever wondered if Alex speaks bad about you, um, he holds you both in high regards and, uh, he says you're two of the best. So, um, I've been incredibly excited to have you guys on. It's just one of those deals where I slacked and, but we're finally getting around to it. And so I'm incredibly excited to talk about this hunt. Um, you named it the tribute hunt, um, to commemorate or honor the 1959 little Delta hunt that Fred bear went on. Um, walk me through kind of the idea behind this, like what sparked this? Yeah, here, here's how it happened, Dylan. We, um, I was actually, it was in 2019, and I was on my way to work, and I was listening to the Fred Bear Field, Field Notes podcast. And it, it was, the episode was recapping the 1959 Little Delta Hunt. And it just, you know, I was driving, it just clicked. I'm like, wow, this is going to be the 60th anniversary of that iconic hunt. And, you know, I thought to myself, I'm like, how cool would it be to go up there and go with original bear 59 Kodiaks and original bear razor heads and, and go moose hunting. So, um, you know, I called Jim. I, I already knew Jim was a big bear, bear uh, archery fan, but I called him. I ran the idea by him 
And uh, I think it took him maybe a half a second to say, I'm in. <laughs> Not that long. <laughs> that's kind of what, what kicked it off right there. He said, no, it wasn't that long. Don't act like I hesitated. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was almost saying, I'm in before I, I finished you know, <laughs> the idea. But it was, you know, again, the idea was to, you know, commemorate our childhood heroes, you know, Fred Bear and Glenn St. Charles and, and pay tribute to them. Uh, I, um, Jim, I can already tell you that you're my kind of person. Um, I, man, when I call a friend, I want him to just be all in, you know, let's do it. Uh, yep. guns blazing. I, uh, <laughs> I had a friend one time, it was a Friday night and, uh, we were at a, at a football game and said, Hey man, you want to go duck hunting in the morning? He said, Oh dude, I got to work Monday. And I'm like, Monday, I said tomorrow morning, that's Saturday. And, uh, and you know, just drag, drug his feet and blah, blah, this, that, and the other. And so I found a new hunting partner, but, uh, I like guys that'll just jump in guns blazing, man. Where are we hunting? What are we hunting? Let's do it. Well, Dylan, a little backstory before the tribute hunt, you know, every year, um, cause I'd, I've been going to Alaska moose hunting since 2008. And Jim said, if you ever have an opening, I'd love to go. And, uh, the, the guy I was going with, he had, uh, and I'm in air quotes right now, retired from moose hunting. And, uh, and so I asked Jim and and he said, I'm in. And then the tribute hunt was kind of the, you know, the first year that Jim and I hunted together. Now, before we jump in, um, tell everybody kind of about the, the, the little Delta hunt, what made it so iconic? Uh, what made you guys want to relive it? Um, I don't know. I think it gets back to the field notes. And like Brian said, when we were younger, seeing the films and stuff. And once you read about it and you read the whole history, even when Glenn came out with the bows on the little Delta book and you read the backstory on how Glenn found that spot. And then, you know, Fred bear wanted in on it. Um, he invited Fred the next year. And those guys were just kind of like trailblazers. You know, that was all new. That's before the guide requirements and everything. So it just was overall exciting adventure i mean the stuff that those guys were able to hunt and accomplish in that time and several world records not that you know it's all about that came off of that hunt from different hunters at the time and um i don't know to me it was just always you know everyone like i love kodiak country i like all the bear films but it always came back to i always want like to watch a grub steak bow hunt it showed that hunt you know and or read about the the 59 hunt the little delta hunt so that was me. That was my personal thing. And I know Brian and I kind of had talked about that and it's kind of his deal too. Yeah. I mean, real similar answer to where Jim was. It is about adventure. You know, just picture yourself being up there on the little Delta river in a trapper's cabin. Um, you know, what, one of the, you know, to Jim's point, you know, Fred ended up shooting what would, what would become the world record caribou at the time. And then Bill Wright ended up shooting the world record moose at the time. So just, uh, I think 14 guys were actually yep. on the front, um, brought in 3000 pounds of gear. It's, which is amazing. God. Jim and I could yep. only bring in 50 to 75 pounds of piece. Yeah. You know, and, I, you know, and if you think of, you know, the one iconic photo from that hunt that just, you know, if you're a kid and you're looking at that photo and it used to be in the Fred beer museum, it's the suspension bridge over the little Delta river, you know, and I don't know if you've seen that photo, but I have, yeah. if you haven't, but it's a super cool photo and just, just, um, 
you know, it, it was about adventure and it was about experiencing wilderness in its rawest form and just really, you know, with good friends. And I know I was going to get to experience that with Jim as well. Now, what was kind of the, what was the, what did you guys set out? And I don't want to, I don't know that this is the right word. What did you guys set out to accomplish? What was the the end goal of the hunt? Obviously to harvest animals, um, but sorry, to kill animals. But um, what was the, the tribute part of it? What was, what was the, the goal, if that makes sense? Yeah, I guess it, it wasn't, we were both, you know, you know, after a moose, you know, um, but that wasn't what it was about. It was about paying tribute to two legends of bow hunting and you know they happen to be our childhood heroes as well but it was kind of for me it was about connecting the past and the legacy with the present and being able to pay honor to you know our, to the people that paved the way i mean those fred and glenn were extremely instrumental in getting you know bow hunting seasons established across the country so it was just they had given so much of themselves their time um, you know, to bow hunting and it was just neat to be able to pay them tribute, uh, on this hunt. You know, in my mind, obviously, uh, especially in the Pope and young world, uh, Glenn St. Charles and Fred bear are, are always talked about names always are brought up. And in my, when I began working for Pope and young, um, it was such a, a humbling experience to start taking in some of the history. Because I think that we we live in a generation that that's lost upon us. We live in a generation where the adventure side of bow hunting and you know the 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 paving the way and and blazing new trails and doing things that have never been done before, that's all been lost upon us. And especially my generation, we think that bow hunting was just handed to us and and it's always been here. It always will be and and we have nothing to work and we never stop and take it time to look and learn about and and study and give appreciation uh to the guys who really paved the way for us to be where we're at and so that's why um when i heard about this hunt and of course i heard about it when it was it, when it was taking place or, or soon afterwards at least um you know it's almost one of those times where i'm like praise god you know somebody's doing it uh somebody's not forgetting those who who paved the way um who who blazed the trails and who made the difference and and made it possible for us um you know because we, we truly wouldn't be here without guys like that well that's true you know and that's kind of what happened is once brian and i were discussing the details of the hunt that was in early january well then the kalamazoo trade expo was coming up you know traditional boat trade expo but once we started talking with individuals there it just started gaining momentum it was like people would come to Brian and myself, Hey, you know, I've got this that's from say 1959, or I've got this, or I've got this item. And next thing you know, the whole traditional archery community was kind of rallying behind Brian and I, and yeah. next thing, I mean, we took so much original gear with us. It's unbelievable. Now, we, Dylan, we ended up uh, having 40 items donated, you know, for us to take on the hunt. And, you know, here, Jim and I are trying to stay within, 50 to 75 pounds yeah. Jim, i'm like we're gonna have to get another you know super cub flight just for the gear but it but it was really neat to um you know to have the the traditional bow hunting community rally around the hunt and i'm now, real 
glad, Dylan, to hear you say, you know, you, you appreciate the, the historical component of the hunt because, you know, I, I do get a little concerned about, you know, the younger generation really not understanding the history or not appreciating it. So I, I'm glad you do. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's yep. nearly impossible to sit around <laughs> with guys. Um, you know, Harv, Harv was a, a friend of Fred's and a friend of, of, of Glenn's and, you know, one of the founding members of Pope and Young along with those guys. And it's impossible to sit around and hear those guys talk about, you know, the struggles along the way and wanting more for bow hunting in the future. And, you know, we did this to create opportunities for you guys. And it, it, it's impossible to sit there and hear that and not be humbled by what they did and not be thankful for what they've done and not be, um, you know, almost just in awe of, of, wait a minute, you mean, you mean these things haven't always just been here? There hasn't always just been bow hunting seasons in places. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's impossible to sit there and have those conversations and not, you know, just take it all in about the history of bow hunting. Well, that's, you know, to your point on that, Dylan, that's what, unfortunately, um, it seems to me that, and there's, it's no one's fault, but a lot of people take everything for granted that, oh yeah, we just have a bow season, but they, the, the four founders that fought for these seasons, you know, when Michigan first got a season, it was like a week long and it stayed that way. And, you know, and then other states like Wisconsin, and then it started to build. And then finally they realized, you know, well, this is as low impact, but it gives more sportsmen's days, low impact on the resource that, you know, and it kept building and other states joined suit. And then it kind of blew wide open, I would say, you know, through the 60s and 70s to what we have today and the very liberal seasons. Well, th those men fought, They gave, like you guys said earlier, gave up all their time. They fought and fought and they went to you know, state legislator through the their Department of Natural Resources fought and fought to get what we have today. So it's sad to think that some people take it for granted and they don't know the history, but really took place, you know. Yeah. And their money. I mean, mass amounts yeah. of, of money donated. And, and their time away from their families, yeah. too, and stuff to fight for what we have for future generations, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this isn't where this episode was supposed to go, but uh, I'm glad it did. Um, but, uh, now, I, I know I'm not going to get this right, but wasn't it something to where all of the bows, all of the arrows, the there was something to where everything was from the fifty nine from fifty nine? Is that correct? Well, Dylan, it was it was uh, we had a bunch of stuff that was period correct. Not all of it was from fifty nine, but I'll give you a couple examples. We uh, we both Jim and I both went up there with you know bare fifty nine Kodiaks. And uh, I had to purchase mine because it's hard to find one in uh, in moose hunting weight that somebody would be willing to sell. And I had right. a bunch of people saying, hey, I'll loan you mine. But I'm like, oh, if, I, if I kill a moose with it, I'm going to need to own that bow. So yeah. I you know, had a friend that you know sold one to me and, and Jim had one restored. But um, you know, we also had 59 bare razor heads in and uh, one of the things, you know, you're talking about the history. I reached out to Suzanne St. Charles to have her make arrows for Jim and I that replicated. She that, makes beautiful arrows. Yeah. And and, yeah. Uh, and we wanted ones that replicated what Fred Bear used in 1959. And so, um, you know, she made those arrows for us. And, and uh, 
you know, that in another really neat piece of uh, gear that we had up there is we had Fred Bear's personal bolo tie. So Jim and I have a friend that that owns that bolo tie now. And I asked him if we could take it up there. And, you know, he was like, oh, I don't know. That that really means a lot to me. And he said, but you know what? This is a really cool hunt. It deserves to go on that hunt. He said, but I'll tell you what, Brian, if um, I need the GPS coordinates, because if, if you get eaten by a grizzly, I need to be able to get that bolo tie back. <laughs> hey john thanks for thanks for caring about me yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah we we had we had a ton of ton of neat gear up there we had uh you know uh, jim i guess go over some of you had up there well we we had um like i had an original camo jacket that came out in 1959 and i ended up getting it from the same person we were just talking about i uh suzanne actually made our flu flu arrows brian remember with some original some of glenn's original feathers from then yeah yep and then we used the original we had original bear knocks that our friend john had right from grayling he had piles of them he let brian and i sort through um boy i don't know there was just so much we took you know original uh 1959 arrow boxes i mean we took all that stuff that you know and it still performed flawlessly 60 years later i mean That's what i was gonna ask you were, were you nervous about anything no uh-uh, not at all We've no, been, really. you know, we been shooting them all summer. Everything worked flawlessly. And um, yeah, I never even really gave it a second thought. Like Brian had mentioned, uh, he had bought that 59 in, in a moose hunting weight, and I couldn't find one. Well, I found one on, I believe it was eBay. <laughs> but the guy's like, yeah, this bow's pretty rough. And I looked at it, and something just grabbed me. I go, wow, this is like 58 pounds or whatever. But I knew it needed to be restored. And I thought, he goes, this could either get thrown in the scrap pile or or the burn pile or it can be restored and i said you know what i'm buying that bow i'm restoring it and i'm taking it on the tribute hunt bringing it back to life so that's what i did i you know it had it all restored and um that's the bow i end up hunting with and i still I, I shoot it all the time i love shooting it. it's just amazing you know dylan another another piece of gear that uh, i was fortunate to get again our our friend john he, uh, we went over to his place for what we call the um, Fred Bear, you know, fifty nine day, and and so we he owns all the slides to the original um, fifty nine hunt. So we we actually went through the entire slideshow. We we're looking at the arrows in detail to get the right dimensions so we could have. Wow. He'll hand those off to Suzanne. Um, you know, we were seeing the construction of that suspension bridge that I was talking about earlier. And it was just really kind of reliving the history of that entire hunt. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just neat to have Suzanne St. Charles part of Glenn's legacy, part of that hunt as well. So it was just, again, connecting the, the, the legacy of the past with the present. Yep. Those, and those, those slides, very few people have ever seen all the slides that were taken. Obviously, only so many were able to be used for publicity you know, after the hunt, but, uh, like Brian said, we got to look up at pictures, the close-ups of the arrows. So I took measurements off those arrows where all the cresting was and everything. And I went and I laid out a whole like blueprint basically to give to Suzanne. So they matched. And then Brian, um, you, you, did you reach out to Dale about the feathers to get the correct dye color? Yes. I reached out to Dean Vanderhurst at three rivers in, uh, cause we knew the, uh, Basically, there were two uh, natural barred feathers 
dyed yellow. And, um, and so Dean, uh, at three rivers was able to hook me up with some of those. So it was just everything coming together. I know when we were at, uh, John's house, one of the things that he had was a Borsalino hat that was identical brand, identical size that Fred had in identical color. Uh, and it didn't fit John, but I put it on and it fit me. And I'm like, Oh, John, I've got to buy this hat for me. <laughs> so he sold it to me and uh it's just it's just really neat dylan i can send you a photo of you know me wearing the hat you know with the packing out the moose and and all that but it was it was just you know you felt like you were putting on the uniform that they had when they were going out in the field in 1959 and it was just it was just some really good mojo with the entire trip yeah we had even original 59 quivers we used really oh yeah. yeah yeah that's cool Yep. That is very and we, cool. And we had the uh, vintage, it, it's called, it was called the Fredbear um, knife kit, but it had, it had the sheath, it had the, the Fredbear knife, it, it had the uh, file and the stone. So Jim yep. and I had, you know, that up there as well, but it's just collecting all the, you know, I love the planning portion of a hunt. This, well, this, it was even magnified. Oh, it was, it was over the top, oh, yeah. but it was, it was so much fun. Yeah, with, especially with everyone, like like Brian said, 40 different pieces were donated. So probably 40 pieces were donated by like 38 people or whatever it was. It may have been 40. I don't know. But but then, like I said, word just spread. And it was just like everyone was just enthralled with what we were doing and in awe of what we were trying to pull off. But it was never about getting an animal. It was just about the experience and, like, you know, paying tribute to, the, you know, Fred and Glenn. Yeah, it wasn't about it wasn't about myself, it wasn't about Jim, and it wasn't about a you know a moose or a caribou. It was about you know paying tribute to Fred and Glenn. Well, and what I like most about it is it wasn't about publicity. It wasn't about you know what what can we do? What's a big project we can do to make people you know excited or, or rally around us or you know whatever? It was just a, a project that was so special that people did. And that's just well, I think honestly on that. Thing. Well, honestly, I think you know if Brian would have ran that idea past me, and we never went to Kalamazoo, and we never got everybody involved, we would have still done it, just yeah. for our own satisfaction that we did this. That's incredible. Um, I've got a ton of questions, but before we move on, I have to give a quick thank you to our friends over at the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. Uh, John Mesh was a firefighter for 13 years in the Kansas City area. Um, on the night of October 12th, 2015, uh, he died um, in the line of duty. Jim, uh, John had a strong uh, passion for getting kids involved in the outdoors. Uh, so his brother, Jim, who has become a good friend of mine, uh, started the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. They hold, they hold events um, around the country to raise money, and then they use that money. Now, those events are really to get kids involved in archery, get kids involved in skeet shooting, um, get kids introduced to the outdoors. Uh, but then the money that's raised, they take and put forward um, for a scholarship fund for somebody who's going into uh, the outdoor industry, like a, a game warden or a, a forest ranger or something of those sorts. I'm not a huge, um, you know, I'm not on board with every single nonprofit out there, but this is one that I stand behind and support because I'm passionate about getting kids involved in the outdoors. Go check out johnvmesh.org. Um, because I think it's an important one. Um, 
What was the most surreal moment for you guys on this hunt? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's um, probably probably when we were in camp the first day and you realize, you know, you had all this gear that we were putting together. You know, we we're getting the quivers on our bows and putting the arrows in the quivers and, you know, and it's all this vintage gear. And we knew the purpose of, you know, we had a mission on that on that hunt to pay tribute and so it was just more the um more the ambiance of the entire hunt was surreal right and putting on fred bear's bolo tie and going out hunting was really cool what about you what about for you jim i would say the same thing like it it was like i don't reality set in real quick when we got into moose camp we got camp set and then broke out all our hunting gear and getting everything ready for the next day to hunt and then we were shooting around camp and I don't know, it just was all coming together. And I'm like, wow, this is, you know, and I, like Brian had said, we've hunted Alaska multiple times, but this was just, you could just feel that. I don't know. This was just something special, this hunt, you know, something, I don't know what it was, but uh, it was good. <laughs> was there ever that time where you're like, did something ever happen or did you ever do something where you're like, holy crap, we're on the same hunt as Fred bear. Like, was there ever that specific time? Does that make sense? I don't, I don't, I mean, I think it was always in the back of my mind, but I don't think it was like, wow, you know what I mean? I knew why we were there, what we were doing, but I don't think it was like weighing heavy on me. I think I just would like kind of smile to myself once in a while thinking it. So <laughs> now, um, Brian's already let the cat out of the bag. He said when I was packing the moose out. So we know you guys found some <laughs> success. Sorry about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So walk, we me through, walk me through the hunt portion of it. Well, I, the first morning, because Brian had hunted the valley, obviously, year, in years past. So he knew. So the first morning out, Brian said, well, I'm going to. I'm going to walk out of camp. I'll show you a good glassing point. Brian would hunt one way out of camp and I would hunt another. It'd be probably like we're a half mile either side of camp. So we're basically hunting about a mile apart. So Brian took me the first morning and it was just like scripted. I mean, we were in the moose pretty much after daylight and Brian and I got to do some stalking on moose and um, got to hunt that first morning. And then um, we went back around midday and had lunch and then we went our separate ways. And it just was like, I don't know, Brian, wasn't the first four or five days. I just was in moose nonstop. You were getting stocked. We were just in, it was just happening nonstop. Well, I mean, I've been going up there since 2008, and um, I've never been in a position where we've had two stocks on mature bulls the first morning, and that happened. And, you know, and uh, Jim was seeing big bulls, you know, we were hunting separately, but he was seeing big, big bulls every morning and evening. And I told Jim, I'm like, Jim, I mean, you don't understand moose are very low density animal. <laughs> and you're saying, I mean, you've seen more than uh, my previous hunting partners have in three years of hunting. So we just, you know, I don't know if friend Glenn were sending them our way or what, but uh, it was, it was pretty cool to be in to that many mature moose. Yeah, we were definitely, you know, and I, and I know they're low density, haven't hunted them in the past, but like Brian said, they were just, I think that by the time the hunt was over with, I had over a dozen stalks easily, but I don't know if it was fourth or fifth day or sixth day I came into camp and we would always meet midday for lunch. And I came into camp that day, I, I knew something special had happened because I, Brian looked a little, uh, 
exciting. I think he was missing an arrow or two. <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah, that was actually day five. It was uh, February, or I mean, it was March the thirteenth. Uh, September. That's right. It was yeah. Friday the thirteenth. Yeah. It was Friday the thirteenth in September, and um, yep. And before we yep. left out we the camp up that morning, remember, and I said today's going to be a good luck. It's good luck Friday. The 13th. Yeah, and I. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I told Jim, I'm like, you know, I'm not superstitious, but I'm okay with this being a, a lucky day. So it was uh, it was actually in the morning and I'd seen, um, I got to my glassing spot and I saw a cow actually working, you know, on the side of the mountain towards camp. And then about, um, I don't know, maybe a half an hour later, all of a sudden I saw this bull tight to the side of the mountain. So Dylan, we're hunting this, you know, river system. And you've got mountains on both sides. So you've, you've, you're sitting on the side of the mountain glassy. And then when you see a moose, you go after it. So I made my way down the mountain, crossed the river. And I was, I was pretty sure this bull was going to walk on this peninsula and cross this, this uh, back channel. And that's what he ended up doing. And uh, I could just, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm on the peninsula waiting for him and I can hear him grunting. And then all of a sudden I just see these big palms, you know, above the willows coming my way. And I'm like, Oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And uh, sure enough, he came about 25 yards and I shot in right before he was getting, getting ready to cross the river. And I don't, I don't know if I got a deflection. I don't remember seeing a deflection, but I hit him low and, um, and he ran across the river and I could tell he was, you know, he was losing a lot of blood. And so I crossed the river as well and made a big circle. And he was kind of crashing through the brush and he got in this opening. And then I put an arrow, you know, right through his chest and, and, um, you know, then went and uh, ended up getting Jim and we ended up, you know, finding the moose. But it was, it was just a, a pretty neat experience knowing that you had uh, original 59 Kodiak, the bow's older than me. And, you just killed a moose with it. Well, it was really awesome. cool, Brian. What I always remember is when we were going, we, you know, we had something, we made ourselves some lunch. We got our, we call it the kill kit, which we always have, and which has all our game bags and knives and everything. And we started going and, you know, Brian showed me where it took place and where, where the blood, we knew the moose had crossed the river and we were looking for a place to cross. And Brian was about, I don't know, about 10 steps in front of me. And I just glanced over to my right across the river on this little, low spot and i could see this big palm sticking up out of the willows and i go hey brian he's like yeah he turned i go come here and i just stuck my hand out grad congratulated him and pointed across the river <laughs> the bull was laying dead right there yeah that, wow. that was a cool moment and what's really what's really neat dylan is the the following year so i, I looked for my arrow that i shot through the chest of that bull and just couldn't find it you know and that alaska bush just sucks up you know arrows but the next year I was uh, up there again, moose hunting. I was making a stock on a bull and right in the middle of a moose trail laid the arrow that I shot the bull. No way. Yeah. And fully intact, really wow. still, in, still in great shape. And uh, I just, it was one of those where I had to look down. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I don't believe this. But uh, now that actual kill arrow is on the, on the rack. Yeah, wow. when, he, when he found that arrow, Dylan, I had t I had, I had shot a caribou a couple days prior, and it was towards the evening, and I was getting stuff ready around, building fire for dinner and stuff, and I was waiting for Brian to come, and I seen him getting ready to cross the river, so I walked down to the river, 
to greet him. And uh, as he crossed the river, he kind of handed his bow up to bait to me. And I could see it already. I'm like, what's that white arrow doing? That's in one your of the quiver? 59 arrows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of my arrows. So. And the arrows, in fab- I mean, you could shoot it right now. Oh, yeah. Laid out there all year. Wow. After being you know, shot through a bull moose. I was going to ask you guys both. Do you both still use wooden arrows? Yes. Yeah, I do. Yep. What's your uh what's your what's your tips or tricks for wooden arrows? Uh buy Sherwood shafts. Yep, Sherwood shafts. <laughs> no, these, yeah, these are Doug fur arrows is what I shoot and they do a they do a great job in um, yep. you know, Suzanne made Suzanne made uh, these arrows for us. Uh, Joe Callahan, you know, makes bear arrows and, you know, out of wood, he, he makes them out of carbon too, but, you know, I've used his arrows as well, but, but typically, you know, Suzanne's arrow was the first arrow that I've ever killed an animal with that I didn't make myself. So really? I, my own. Yeah. Wow. It, you know, we wanted Suz, the, we wanted the Glen St. Charles connection with the tribute hunt. So we had her make the arrows. Now, do you not, this is a stupid question, but I'm still new to it. Do you not just break a ton of arrows being wet? No, no. Oh, no. No. No, tough. They're tough. Hmm. I, uh, I'll, I'll give you a little backstory <laughs> on, on how tough they are. And this isn't to bash on any arrow manufacturer or anything like that, but I was up moose hunting in Canada a couple of years ago, and a buddy of mine was shoot, shooting a, what are they called, full metal jacket or something like that? Yeah. I don't know. And we were shooting at a little sand pile along where we were hunting in. Just, you know, stump shooting type thing. There was a sand pile with a leave on it. So I shot and I hit the leave and then he shot. And when he hit, his arrow like flipped up in the air. We walked over there and shattered the whole tip off the arrow because there was a small stone in there. And he was just perplexed. He goes, well, you hit the same stone and your wooden arrow didn't break. How did this shatter? I said, I don't know. So they, they are very durable. They're a lot more durable than people give them credit for, is what I'm trying to say. Um, Dylan, the other thing you could do with wood arrows is you can foot the end to even make it, you know, have a little more, you know, weight on the end. And that's what I do with all mine, basically, are all footed. Yeah. Now, I, now, guys, I miss my target a lot. Like, you, <laughs> you guys might not have to worry about it as much, but I miss a lot. No, nah, you'd, you'd be fine with wood, wood, wood shafts. You know, you get the right spine and all that. That's probably what's you know, really important is just making sure you've got the right spine and you've got the arrow tuned to the bow you're shooting. Right. But if, you know, if you get the right, you know, arrow set up with, with your bow, wood arrows, I mean, it's, I've, I've had no problem with them. I've shot them for, you know, like I said, 40, you know, well, 46 years. I, I, I used to shoot aluminum back in the day. So, you know, close to call it 45 years. Yep, I've always shot wood except for like a year and a half. I switched to grizzly sticks, shot a few animals. I went right back to wood. So I'm I'm like with Brian. I've always shot wood. Originally, I shot original bear arrows. That's what I started out with. And I shot those for years, original grayling bear arrows. So Now, one more question for you. You guys have mentioned the razor head. Um, What's your thoughts on the new uh, bear head that was just released? Well, Alec, um, we were were with... I'm sorry, uh, Dylan. We were with Alec at Fred Bear Day, so uh, we were talking about that, and he's going to send me some just so I can try them out. But um, you know, we were at the Kalamazoo Trad Bow Expo, and Neil was showing me 
the modularity of that system. It looks really cool, but I, I just want to try it out. Yeah, it seems pretty neat when, like you said, when Neil was showing us the whole system, uh, it's very universal. You know, it works for it'll work for anyone, and how you can change the weight and everything. So I, I think it's be pretty neat. Yeah, I'm excited to try them for sure. Um, so we've walked through Brian's success. Did you kill a moose uh, on the on the 59 tribute hunt? No, I did not. I had multiple opportunities. Um, a couple of days after Brian killed his moose, um, we uh, we we hunted together that day and uh, ended up getting in on a big bull. And we called him in at least how many times was it, Brian? At least three uh, times. Three times, yeah. Yeah, and it was like this went on for several hours, and then finally it um. Well, it seemed like he was just going to go the other way because, you know, it just never happened. And we'd make big circles back up the side of the mountain. We would run and we'd sit there and 45 minutes later, he'd show back up or a half hour later. And just so finally on the last attempt, we thought he had snaked by us and snuck down the center of the valley. We um, were kind of walking back, go up to the glassing point. And I don't know, Brian just turned to say something to me. He was ahead of me and he's like, Jim, he's right behind you. He was coming back. So it was like a scramble and Brian started, we had, Brian had found a shed antler, um, a small, smaller shed antler. So I said something about Colin, he would be raking that antler and that really agitated that bull. And uh, he started working his way and I kind of got set up and it was just like a gorgeous day, not a cloud in the sky. And I figured the bull was going to cross on my right and he kind of hung to the left at the last minute. And when he stopped, he kind of knew I, something was out of place and I was kind of like kneeling on one knee there. And, um, he was probably like 20 yards. Hey, and hey, I, Jim, yeah. Jim, let me kind of share my experience here because I, this is a very vivid memory for me. Okay. But, <laughs> what, what <laughs> happened Dylan is the bull, he was, he, he ended up being basically hanging up. And so what I did is I took that shed antler and I would cow call and then I'd rub that antler and I'd keep working my way away from the bull. So I, almost like I was taking the cow away from him. Yeah. That's when he, that's when he committed and he started coming in. Right. right. Yep. And I, I'm just seeing this bull getting closer and closer and I'm seeing Jim starting to put tension on the string. And then I see Jim pull back and I didn't actually see exactly what happened, but Jim, I'll let you take it on from there. Yeah, so the bull kind of, I thought he was going to go to my right because Brian was back behind me, I don't know, 50, 60 yards to my right. And, I, and the bull was heading that way, and all of a sudden he kind of hung to his right to come across in front of me to my left, which was okay because I'm a right-handed shooter. Then he kind of stopped, and I was like kneeling next to this, like a spruce tree that was probably, I don't know, about 8 or 10 feet tall. And it's like the sun shining on me. I kind of stuck out apparently. And he kind of stopped and he swung his head and looked right at me. Well, I said, well, it's now or never because he's, I'm, th you know, all my life hunting whitetails like crazy. They're jumpy. They're going to bolt. I'm hunting a moose. They're not, every, like Brian always says, everything a moose does is very deliberate. So in my whitetail brain, I drew back and shot way too fast. And I shot right over the bull. Oh. <laughs> and Brian didn't know that at the time, you know. No, I, I, I came running. Yeah, I came running up to Jim because I saw him shoot, but I couldn't actually see. Uh, I lost vision of the moose at that time, so I ran up to Jim. I'm like, I'm like, where'd you hit him? And he's like, well, um, 
Well, I missed. <laughs> and I said, Jim, how do you miss a bull moose at 20 yards? And I said, it's hard when you're in the middle of a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but the bull, you know, didn't really go. We watched, actually, Brian filmed the bull, bull walking off, you know, and then, um, so that was the, kind of the end of that, that day. And then I had numerous other stalks. I, I mean, I would literally have bulls sometimes 10 yards in front of me but they'd be facing me directly on in the brush. And I just was never going to take that shot. And then the one evening I, um, in the unit we were hunting, we were allowed to shoot any size bull. So we didn't have to worry about the antler point restrictions that are in most of the units in Alaska, which are 50 inch or four brow tines or three. But anyway, it was a smaller bull. And I started calling and he came towards me, but he was like feeding and he'd get interested and come towards me and he, feed a little bit and get interested well finally he starts walking down this moose trail that i'm just off the side of and he literally walked right up to within like maybe about five yards tops but he's again facing me and he i just said well i'm not going to move i'm just going to watch him i'm like leaning against this big um um what was it it was like an aspen so he kind of turned and he walked into the willows and started feeding. When he circled around, I said, well, there, I've got a perfect broadside shot at 20 yards. A little opening in the willows, I can put the arrow right through there. Arrow almost got there, caught a branch, and it ricocheted right underneath of him. He kind of just jumped and looked at it and didn't know what it was and continued feeding deeper into the willows, and I just could never uh, get another shot at him. Now, going into this, I can see it going either way. What was your... Um kind of expectations for the hunt was it because i could see it being hey i want to shoot any bull that comes out because it's special uh or was it you know i want to i want to commemorate this with a big bull um and hold out for a big bull well for me personally that was never never an, an idea that crossed my mind to shoot a big bull i was going to shoot the first legal bull because i'm always i'm not a trophy hunter i love you know i like the experience and about the meat do i want to shoot a giant bull Absolutely. But just when you get in that close to those animals, they're just magnificent. So it doesn't matter to me if it's a paddle horn or a 70 inch bull, they're amazing animals. And to spend time with them and do those, I mean, stock after stock, I mean, that, that was a success in itself to me. I didn't need to actually kill an animal to have a great hunt. Yeah. Again, it was more about, you know, it was more about the entire experience and the, and you know, pay tribute and celebrating our heroes than it was about any moose. I've, uh, I was, you know, for me, it's a little different. I've, I've killed six moose. Um, and so, you know, early on in the hunt, I, I probably would have passed on, on smaller bulls, but, um, but again, that wasn't our thought process. We were up there just enjoying the experience and, and, uh, kind of reliving, reliving some history. Yeah, now, I agree. Would that, would that have been Jim? Would that have been your first bull? It would have been my first one with a bull. Have you got one now since then? Nope. I was up there um the following year with Brian when he found the arrow and um the hunt started out pretty much the same way. First morning <laughs> I'm into moose and I I'm getting into stocks and for the first few days I was getting stocks on moose and um one day heading back to camp at lunch, I ended up uh I spotted a caribou down in the valley. I'd spotted him earlier, I thought, up on the side of the mountain coming through the timber. And then when I was heading back to camp uh, for lunch at midday, I uh, noticed this bull down in the valley, and I just started paralleling him on the side of the mountain. 
And then he kind of hung a hard 90 to his right. And he was heading right for the river. Well, the way the mountain dropped off, I was going to lose sight of him. But I knew where some caribou trails came through the spruce. So I just went on ahead and kind of positioned myself between two trails. So I'd have like maybe a 20-yard shot to my right or a 15, 20-yard shot to my left type deal. And it was in the stunted spruce on the side of the mountain. So I kind of, you know... It was going to happen quick if it did happen. And I stood there for about 10 or 15 minutes, and finally I heard something, and he was coming up to my left, which was perfect. And uh, I ended up uh, shooting that caribou. And then once I did that, um, that was the end of my moose hunt because I only had a moose tag. And in Alaska, you're allowed to use, uh, to say the moose tag costs $800, where a caribou tag would cost, I don't know, 700 or whatever. You're allowed to downgrade on and put your tag on that. So... I was more than happy to shoot that caribou with my bow and put my moose tag. Pretty good consolation prize, I'd say. Oh, it was amazing. Dylan, I remember I remember meeting Jim in camp, you know, for lunch. And uh I said, How did your morning go? He's like, Well, I I lost an arrow. I'm like, You lost an arrow? And he's like, Yeah, in a caribou. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So we after lunch we went out there and tracked the caribou and, and found it right away and it was that's pretty neat. That is cool. Um, gentlemen, I have one more kind of uh tip question or whatever you want to say. Um, what do you say to the guy who who is just getting into archery or just just making the switch to a recurve, uh, either or? Um, how do you learn and assess and figure out your effective range? Um, like where do you how do you teach somebody to say okay this is the furthest i'm going to shoot period um hmm. i would say back to what you had said earlier dylan about finding a mentor first off there's enough people around especially in the traditional archery community like brian had mentioned that they're willing to share their wisdom and then when it comes to shooting i don't know i'm kind of different about this i don't particularly like shooting 3d targets and stuff like that i mean i have them I think I learn a lot more by stump shooting with blunts and stuff and walking around or throwing yeah. a tennis ball around and shooting at that in the 100%. woods or, you know, and so I don't know. And, you know, just don't overbow yourself and just like, if you, if you can find a mentor, don't put too much pressure on yourself, just enjoy it and don't overthink it. Just cause you may not be shooting great today. doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It's just that day, you know, Dylan, I, I guess for me, you know, it's all about, uh, being confident, you know, and everybody's different. So somebody's effective range may be 30 yards with, you know, with the recurve, somebody's maybe, you know, 15, but it's so, so it can be individual, but you know, you've got to, you've got to have confidence in your equipment and you've got to have confidence in your shooting. And, you know, if, if you're very confident that you can make that shot and you have that green light go off in your brain, then, you know, go ahead and take it. If you've got a, if you're, if you've got a question mark, do not take that shot because really bad things are going to happen. So for me, it's, it's more about, you know, practice a lot, you know, have a mentor that can help you out to increase your range, but, but um, be confident when you're taking that shot. I love that you said that because I had a buddy not too long ago. Um, He said, you know, it's effective range is so, um, even, even for an individual hunter, it's so subjective. So, you know, Absolutely. I've, I've seen a bison at fi- at 40 and he's like, I can hundred percent make that shot. So like, and then I've seen deer at 10 where I'm like, ah, you know, I just don't know. 
Um, so he's like, that's just, it's so subjective. Uh, but just like you just said, if an animal comes out and you're like, I can make that shot hundred percent, make the shot. Um, and if, like you said, if there's any doubt or question in your mind, don't pull your bow back. Right. Absolutely. And just the main, like I say, just have fun because I know some people that may be coming from shooting a compound and getting into traditional, they, um, they want instant success, maybe like what they can do with a compound. And it's probably not going to happen for the average person. You're going to have to put the work in and you got to shoot. It's repetitive. You know, you got to continually shoot and just enjoy it though. That, that's the whole thing. I always say, have fun and don't beat yourself up too much because you'll get discouraged and then you may start picking up bad habits. Just keep it fun and simple. Now, what was the one piece, what was the biggest lesson or takeaway uh, from the tribute hunt? Hmm. Well, the biggest takeaway, um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I mean, for me. For you, it was a, bo- a moose. <laughs> well, well, that was the biggest because that was about 1,600 pounds. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, I guess in terms, I'm thinking more from a thought process and all oh, that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, w- I would say there was, a, you know, there was a certainly a sense of accomplishment. Um, it was it was just really when I talked earlier about immersing yourself in the entire experience, we were able to do that. We had a lot of people that, you know, we Jim and I were asked to you know speak at PBS and the Compton about the hunt. So we knew we were going to get to share the story with friends. And um, so it was it was really like, you know. We had a mission when we went there. The mission was accomplished. And kind of internally, I felt like, you know, Glenn and Fred would have been proud of, you know, what we did. Yep. I agree 100% with what Brian just said. You know, and the thing is, Dylan, is like, Brian and I went up there with all that old, that vintage gear. And then when he shot that moose, it just, I don't know, like here, we, we did it. It wasn't that Brian got, the, I mean, yeah. yeah, Brian got the moose, but... I got to help him, you know, find, we found the moose. We got to pack it out. We got, you know, that it was like, I, it didn't matter whose moose it was. And we did what we set out to do using vintage gear. And we brought everyone, everyone that contributed or followed that hunt. That was their moose too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, for, for myself, one of the biggest takeaways and, and uh, you just said it, we, we went and we completed our mission um, but the mission had nothing to do with killing a bull. Um, no. and, and the, the mission, and this is for the listener, maybe just getting into it, you know, who is, who's getting down on themselves and getting, uh, well, maybe I'm just not good at hunting or maybe, uh, well, listen, folks, the mission is not always about the kill. And in fact, it rarely ever is. Um, it rarely ever do we, do we come back from a hunt where we're where we're successful and say okay well now i've completed my mission um or vice versa we come back from a hunt where we don't kill an animal and it's like okay well i didn't complete my mission um if hunting is all about to kill for you you're not going to enjoy it much you, you won't find the the happiness in it you won't find the the gratification the the camaraderie the the history the the sentimental um relationship that's built with somebody when you share camp um you just won't find it um if your focus and your mission is always just about to kill that's very true very true 
I just got asked that on a different podcast a couple of weeks ago. What was my most memorable Alaska hunt? And obviously, I haven't gone so many times. There's a bunch, but it was a simple, you know, it was like I knew instantly. My most memorable hunt was a tribute hunt. And afterward, they asked me, well, you didn't even get an animal on that hunt. I said, you guys don't understand. It's yeah. not what it's ever about. You don't know, you don't understand what took place day after day on that hunt and how much fun Brian and I had in camp. And we would shoot around camp midday and we would come back at night and tell stories around the campfire of what happened throughout the day on stalks or animals yeah. sighted. That's what it's about. Was it just the two of you or did you have anybody else? No, nope, nope, just, just the two of us. That's incredible. I'm just glad that the the meals, the freeze dried meals you ate, weren't 59 specials. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and I'll tell you what, Dylan. Though you know, when when we did get the moose, you know, we uh, we brought back the uh, interior fillets, and we had those in camp, and we we were way over served. Yes, we were. <laughs> in a row. And uh, it was just we were happy to be off freeze dried food. So I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, guys, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Um, it was an absolute honor. I'm glad I finally got to ask somebody about wooden arrows because the only, the only, um, situation I found myself with in wooden arrows, I got to tell you guys this, uh, we were, we were going on a hunt in South Texas and we were going to kill anything that moved. Um, I mean, if it took a step, it was going to die. Um, hogs, javelinas, deer, uh, everything that we saw, it was fair game. Um, well, leading up to this hunt, it started off going to be me and Alec and our two dads, um, going on this hunt and they, our dad's stuff happened. And so I ended up calling some buddies. And so we made this just kind of a group hunt, me and some friends and Alec and Alec brought this beautiful recurve and, uh, some beautiful arrows, uh, that Joe had made. That's his name, right? Um, yeah, Joe Callahan. Yeah, that that Joe had made for this bow, gorgeous arrows, and uh, and I was hunting with a recurve all week, and so I was I was playing around with Alex recurve, and uh, and I sh I shot and I missed completely, and there was a big rock pile behind the the target <laughs> we were shooting at, and I just blew that arrow to smithereens, and I just looked at Alec, handed him bow back. I'm like, man, those arrows are real beautiful. Like they're, they're super pretty. Uh, <laughs> and so he came with six left with five. Um, but that was my only experience with wooden arrows. Yeah. They're not, you know, hard rocks like that down there. And I've hunted Texas a lot. They, they're not very forgiving. I don't think pretty much on any arrow. You know? Oh no, no, it was, and it was a huge rock pile. Like if you miss the target, you're hitting a giant rock pile. Um, yeah. and, and it got to the point too, where, um, I was like, well, Alec, I would go in there and find the tip and everything, but we've killed four rattlesnakes since we've been here. So I'm not going to crawl <laughs> through a rock pit to find your arrow, dude. Um, yeah, I don't so blame you. I'm sorry. He can well, get more from is, Joe. Yeah, Joe makes more arrows. So. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for, for coming on. Before we go, um, Brian's already thanked him once, but I got to give a quick thank you to our friends over at Three Rivers Archery. The absolute powerhouse in all things traditional archery. Um, same day shipping, largest in stock selection of traditional archery equipment. So whatever it is you need, quiver, quivers, arrows, bows, whatever it might be, finger tabs, you've got to go check out our friends over at Three Rivers Archery because they will have it. Um, gentlemen, thank you guys so much for coming on. It was an absolute honor to have you guys. Guys, thank you for listening. Y'all have a great week. 
Thanks, Dylan. Thanks, Dylan.